Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Sydney Sloan, CMO of SalesLoft, and I'm so pleased to be guest hosting this time around. Today we have with us Doug Landis. Doug lives and breathes all things sales and go-to-market. He is currently a growth partner at Emergence Capital. Prior to Emergence, Doug spent his career in sales leadership roles at Box, Salesforce, and Google. One of my favorite roles he had at Box was their chief storyteller. Welcome, Doug Landis. Thank you so much. Do you remember the first time you started selling something? It might have been as a child or your first job. What was your first sales experience? Yeah, I mean, I, my first job was, you know, I had a newspaper route and I was not only just delivering the newspapers, but I was also going door to door trying to sell newspaper subscriptions. You know, you deliver the newspaper, by the way, at like, you know, five in the morning. Well, that set you definitely up for a career in sales. And I knew of you, Doug, at Box. But last year, we got to really know each other a little bit better. And I remember us sitting at Dreamforce and we were talking about podcasts, funny enough. We hadn't yet started the Hey Salespeople podcast. And we were talking about what your favorite podcasts were. And you mentioned Dax Shepard. And Dax has his Armchair Expert podcast. And so as I was preparing for this, I watched one of his podcasts. And it was really interesting. He was talking about his fears. And so I thought, wow, that's a really interesting topic that we could explore today, if you're cool with that, discussing fear. Amen. What's your greatest fear? The obvious are spiders. Only because they can be a little shifty with their, you know, eight legs or however many they have. You never really know which direction they're going to go and some of them jump. So those kind of creep me out. I don't like small confined spaces. But yeah, those are kind of like the standard life fears, if you will. One that I know a lot of people share and probably those that are listening is the fear of public speaking. And this is an area that you've excelled at, you coach people on. How do you help people prepare for big presentations. It might be a big presentation for a deal you're working on or in front of thousands of people in a large audience. The fear of public speaking ranks higher than death. For largely most of society, it is the number one fear they have in the professional setting. I certainly get nervous and and get the jitters, if you will, but I've developed skills or tools to actually help me through that. And we can talk about some of those. But let's talk about fear just for a second before we kind of talk about anchor around public speaking, because I think the reality is this fear is real because it's an emotional response, right? It's an emotional response to a real threat. It's part of our survival mechanism as a human being, right? That could be a reaction to seeing somebody walk in to, you know, a restaurant with a gun or a car veering towards us or something like that. It is a real emotional response because there is a connection there to like a lack of control, right? But the problem is the sensation that most people experience when it comes to fear isn't actually real. It's not a true fear. If you actually look at fear, there's an acronym for it. I don't know if you've heard this, but it's a false evidence appearing real, meaning there's no true threat. So if you associate this with public speaking, what is the biggest threat, right? You're going to walk out there and your flies can be down. By the way, that has happened to me. But at the end of the day, there's like no real, you know, immediate threat of physical danger, right? There's no threat of losing someone or, you know, something happening. So the reality is, is that fear really is an illusion, right? It's something that, you know, we kind of fabricate in our own minds to pretend that it's real, right? It's a little bit of a fairy tale, if you will, that we tell ourselves. 
the first thing in order to kind of overcome your fear of public speaking or whatever it may be is to first recognize the fact that we have the power to think and choose how we respond. We can't control what other people's behaviors are. People start booing you or throwing rotten tomatoes at you. Like we can't control that. But the one thing we can control is our own reaction to their actions. I think in order to overcome any fear that you have is the first thing you have to recognize is any past failure that you have is not real evidence that justifies your fear of failure now. So often, you know, when we're walking into a situation, we'll use public speaking again. Maybe we screwed up once before, right? We've walked out there and we totally forgot our lines. And by the way, just for a little context, I'm also a professionally trained actor. I went to acting school in San Francisco. For anybody that has a fear of public speaking, take acting classes or better yet, take improv classes because it's through that practice that you'll actually start to become more comfortable with the unknown, the things that may happen, the projector not working or the lights going off, or you're forgetting everything that you're supposed to say and you freeze in the moment. Those things happen, but you know, if it's happened in the past, it doesn't mean it's going to happen right now. So as long as you don't keep doing the same things over and over again, i.e. the definition of insanity, and you learn from your experiences in the past or what you've done in the past, and you're open to learning and to trying, then there really is nothing to fear. I think too, you, you just touched on you know, the things that could go wrong. And a lot of times where I try to focus or I've been coached on is having that visualization technique where you actually practice and you visualize everything going right. Right. You can train your brain to be ready for that. I think the other thing too, that a lot of times people forget, just taking the time to take a breath. The other thing, and, and this by the way, is what I still do today. And I've been you know, facilitating events for 40 years now. I practice in front of a mirror. I look at myself in the mirror and I talk to myself as if I were talking to an audience. And it's really awkward and uncomfortable. My wife laughs at me about it. But it's how I practice engaging as if I were having a conversation with somebody. And the thing to remember when it comes to public speaking is your job up there, your number one job, is to elicit a positive response out of your audience. Now, if I'm present, I'm paying attention to the reaction that I'm getting from the audience, and therefore I can modify. But fundamentally, my job is to try and elicit a positive response. Hence the reason why you know, people who just try to put things into rote memory and try and regurgitate exactly what they memorized, it's really difficult because sometimes you're too focused on just spewing out words and you're not actually focused on the connection with the audience. At the end of the day, I do think it comes down to that. I would add two other tips to this. There's a great exercise that you can do, and, and you highlighted this, but this is just a great exercise to do. It's if you've got a slide deck that you're about to go present, click on every single slide. Have somebody ask you or ask yourself if you're by yourself in a hotel room, like I am a lot, what's the point of this slide? Click. What's the point of this slide? Click. What's the point of this slide? You need to be able to say the point in one sentence. And if you're not clear what the point is, then that's going to screw you up. Because the moment you look at that slide, you're going to go, uh wait, what am I going to say? And then you're likely going to do what most people do, which is just read off of everything that's on the slide. And then you're going to try and move on. So be really, really clear about what is the point of every single slide. Other tip, it's really important to think about what do I want my audience to think, feel, or do differently as a result of our time together? If you can answer that and you can clearly identify the point of every single slide, you're 80% of the way there. And then the third thing is transitions write them down. 
memorize those. That is your little golden nugget because your transitions help you to make the slideshow that you're presenting. I'm doing air quotes by myself in my hotel room. It's kind of weird, but it makes it feel more like a story, like it's connected, like it's smooth because you control the environment. When you go out to public speak, it's your house the moment you walk out on that stage. And so you control the pace and the tempo and the slides and everything that's going on around you. And so when you know your transitions, it helps you to move from one point to the next point to the next. Let's explore some additional fears in the world of sales. So presentations be one big one for all of us. How about uh, the fear of failure, overcoming the fear of losing? In the world of sales, I think one of the biggest fears that exists is the fear of, you know, having a difficult conversation that you're not prepared for. What if they ask me a question that I don't know? What if this is my one shot? We create all these what if scenarios. And again, if you read The Power of Now, what if scenarios actually force you to exist outside of the present. And so if you prepare and you've done your homework for that person or for that company or for the industry and you really understand your value as an organization, and you understand what you're trying to accomplish in that conversation, then it actually is not as intimidating to pick up the phone. Yeah, I've got one deal. I've got to close this deal in order to get to my number. If I get to my number, then I got enough money to go buy my house. And if I don't, then it's the ripple effect of if, 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 right? So we create all these if scenarios, once again, kind of taking us out of our realm. The reality is, is, you know, it's really important to not to take everything so personally. It's not a zero-sum game. We're going to win some and we're going to lose some. And, you know, the reality is, is when you lose, I think the most important thing to do is to learn from it. Okay, what happened? What did I miss? What did I assume? What did I not prepare for? And if you are diligent enough to use those losses as an opportunity to learn so that when you find yourself in a similar situation, you now feel more comfortable and confident, then those fears become just not real. You're like, yeah, of course, it would suck to lose this deal. Me personally, I'm super competitive. I hate losing. That's a big driver for me. But it's not, you know, if I lose, it's not the end of the world. For those of us that are competitive and grew up playing sports and don't like losing, does that just make you work harder so you are more prepared? It goes back to that word, preparation, to win the next time. And welcome the learning, I think, too. Like, don't beat yourself up. If you did everything possible, if you gave a great experience to that customer and there was just something that you couldn't personally overcome, how might you approach the next customer differently with the desire to continue to improve and win. So let's translate that a little bit because I think a lot of people in the sales profession you know, have that natural competitive spirit. A lot of us have also played sports. You're an athlete. You know, you do soccer and you're just recently watching your favorite team. Uh, big tennis player, I understand. The emergence team are, are big tennis hounds uh, all across the board and surfing. Which of those three sports has taught you the most about addressing fears and dealing with pressure? For me, fear when it comes to sports, specifically of the sports that I like, is surfing without question. And it's actually connected to why we tend to get afraid of things because I don't control mother nature. I can control my environment if I'm playing tennis because especially it's, it's me out there. And if you know I'm in soccer, it's a team sport. But at surfing, it's me in the ocean and it is a variable that is so unpredictable. 
but I've gone out in situations that it was really dangerous. It was stormy and I was the only one out there. And I ended up like a mile and a half down the beach up against the rocks. And I thought I was going to drown. So I didn't do a very good job of kind of assessing my environment. But, you know, in those other situations, the key is to, as you were saying, is just kind of breathe. After that time where you got pushed up against the rocks, like how did you prepare yourself for going back out? I eased my way in. I was like, okay, cool. I'm not going to go out when it's a big stormy day. I'm not going to go out if I'm the only one out there. Just looking back on it, it was probably pure ego driven. <laughs> I learned from that. I was like, all right, I need to make sure that I'm just smarter about the environment that I'm choosing to go out in, really, at the end of the day. And also, I'm also totally aware of the fact that anything could happen. It could be a two foot wave and I could fall off and the board hits me in the head and I'm knocked unconscious. Anything can really happen. I'm trying to create an environment where I have more control of the things that are controllable, right? But again, as I mentioned, Mother Nature, you never really know, but that's also part of the fun of it. Is there a sales story that you can tie this back to? So how do you gain control when you feel like you're not in control? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because there's direct parallels, right? So one of our companies just did a really big deal with Slack. I was largely involved in that deal. And I will tell you, I know a ton of people over at Slack, a lot of people at the executive level all the way on down. The crazy thing was, I was nervous about the deal because there were so many things that I felt like were out of our control. They had created an environment where they were controlling the process so much. It was really difficult for us to get you know, kind of the right level of information to, to where we would feel comfortable. To be honest, it wasn't even my deal specifically. If it was my deal, I would have been way paranoid. But even as somebody as somewhat of an outsider, I was still a little paranoid because typically in a sales environment, if you follow the process, you know, you feel more comfortable and confident. Now you got to be careful about getting overconfident because it's usually when you miss something. But in this situation, there was they were just withholding so much information that it was hard to get comfortable. And so anything could have happened literally out of left field. And that's one of the things that I try and coach a lot of our companies on is as a salesperson, be paranoid and ask yourself this question, like, why am I going to lose this deal? And you should always be asking yourself that question. You should always be challenging yourself on the fact that you could very well lose this deal. And so you should understand why it's possible. And then I think the other thing with that, especially in the world of sales, is do your best to be empathetic. Because sometimes, as a buyer, sometimes there's a ton of stuff that's out of our control, right? All of a sudden, we're ready to sign on the dotted line, and the CFO comes in and says, nope, sorry, time out, not spending a thing right now, because guess what? We're just about to go report our earnings to the analysts, and you know we can't spend any money for at least a, a month. Yikes. Right? I didn't see that coming. Nobody saw that coming. I think as a, as a salesperson, it's really important to be empathetic to the people on the other side of the table. And then, of course, do your best job to try and anticipate what could potentially come up, cause things to go sideways. Yeah, I think we preach that in making sure that you're delivering the best buying experience for your, for your buyer. And remember that the world is a very small place. We all move around. You maybe have not gotten the deal today with the company you're working for, but tomorrow you might have another opportunity to engage with that buyer again. And you want to make sure that they still have a very positive experience because that doesn't change. People buy from people they like. And so if you can be empathetic, you can build that relationship, you can win and lose gracefully and continue to learn and build those relationships that will pay dividends in the long run. Absolutely. And look, if you got out executed, I mean, it sucks, but kudos to them, man. They did, you know, one or two things better than you did. And, you know, good on you. As they say in Australia, I'm going to learn from that. I'm not going to let it happen to me again. But 
thankfully it did so I can learn and onward and upward. So live joyfully, let yourself overcome that fear, learn from those lessons and keep breathing. Yes. (laughs) Amen. Right on. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.